Our Socceroos Ecuador review and national second tier talk. That's coming up. another episode of the front page football podcast we are back on recording on a thursday night for uh for the friday release uh like we did last week to preview the two socceroos games and now we're back to review the two socceroos games and jake Hollib joins me now to review these two games our uh one of our contributors uh down there in, in victoria in melbourne and uh yeah of course we'll get to the game in melbourne later uh jake first of all how are you going and uh just give us Give us your general thoughts on what you thought of the two games, and then we're going to dissect uh, each game one by one. Thank you for the intro. Uh, I'm very well, and uh, yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the uh, two games, the mini series. I guess we'll say uh, it was very, very good. It was a good test mm-hmm. for the boys. You know, I think it was uh, you know almost a pleasant you know surprise. Like you know, when you enter friendlies, a lot of them can be sort of wishy washy. Like yeah. you know, just like whatever. These were really, really competitive games, and I think credit to Ecuador. You know, as much as I, yeah, yeah, Ecuador, Ecuador really gave a shit in that Melbourne game, didn't they? Oh, they did. Oh, they did. And and I'll, I'll, I'll get into that later. You know, I'll you know like maybe how unhappy I was in some parts, but yeah. credit to them that they really took it serious. And uh, no, it was thoroughly enjoyable. And uh, yeah, it was good preparation, obviously, you know, leading into the Asian Cup. Yeah, absolutely. Now you're right. We'll get to the Melbourne game later, but let's talk about that Sydney game first because for me, and I actually wrote it down on my notes here earlier today. The first thing that came to my mind was near-perfect performance. Now, And then I kind of st- took a step back and I was like, hang on, was it really a near-perfect performance? But then really, despite conceding that goal, I mean, to be honest, Socceroos were kind of flawless in that game. They, they really did put together a fantastic, complete performance from top to bottom. Um, and there's really not, nothing else to really say. I think, I think they kind of took Ecuador off guard. Obviously, we have to, I think people do have to remember with Ecuador that they were starting under a new manager as well with Felix Sanchez. And that has its own kind of issues too. But um, I mean, to be honest, you couldn't really ask much more from the Socceroos in the Sydney game. That's for sure. Oh, it was a fantastic game. It was probably, you know, obviously, I'd say since the World Cup, we've just looked much better. But that was honestly maybe the top. That was fantastic. I think all the pieces, they're just, they've been building. They've really been building. I think, especially to highlight my man, Mitch Duke. Wow. Like, that, that he was, I, I, I think he really. Would, would, would you have said that? Would you have said that about um what eight months ago? My man, <laughs> Mitch Duke. Uh, like, funnily enough, I was probably one of the biggest criticizers for him going to the World Cup, let alone starting. Oh, absolutely! I can, I, I reflect back. It's unbelievable when I was watching that game. You're right, and I reflect back and I think of actually seeing him in the starting lineup for the France game and thinking, what on earth is going on? What's going on with our striker production? This that, and the other, and then he's fucking playing like prime Ibrahimovic. It's like, what's what's going on here? I do not remember him, especially at Western Sydney Rondos, for example. Like, just the link-up play is ridiculous. Like, our whole system is built up around him. When we play very direct and we hit those, you know, balls down the channel to him and his ability to hold them up and do, yeah. you know, bicycle kicks and... Yeah, uh, that, that, I know. I know. That one... That, <laughs> I know what you're talking about. That phase of play on the... on the uh, It was on the right-hand side and Mitch Duke has actually kind of just acrobatically flicked it over his head to keep the attack alive. And that was when I was getting those kind of Ebra vibes. Um, and yeah, I am going to go in the hyperbole. I really don't care um, because it was, it was just incredible. I don't, I don't know what's going on with this guy. Um, but he's just a different animal when he comes to the national team environment. Um, so it's fantastic. Um, yeah, I mean, 
you say about a few of the guys, uh, you know, at the moment, I think in the squad that they they just kind of they've just kind of got this different, I don't know, attitude. This different, they're playing at a different level when they come into the national team environment. Yeah, for sure. I think I think as well. Like obviously, Irvine's been playing very well. Sam Powell will be banging him in. Continue there. I think it was really good to see him in a more advanced role. Um, you know, with McGree, with Hrustich all out, he was sort of in that more number ten role and scored again and was fantastic. He was really really good. And again, like oh, I could really go with the whole team. They're all fantastic. I think you yeah. know the centre backs great. Maddie Ryan again was very very good. Mm-hmm. Craig Goodwin, you know, just doing Craig Goodwin things. You know. Can we just do like? Can we just do ten <laughs> seconds on Craig Goodwin? Um, because I'm I'm aware that we've got a lot of SA listeners now. This guy, and Arnie's even noticing it now. He is actually really establishing himself as one of the senior players in the Socceroos. Let alone now we know that he's Adelaide United's best player and, and I think the best player in the A League. He's now a senior player in the Socceroos setup, which is a it's a huge kind of uh, thing to think about when you think about you know um, where he came from. His early days at Oakley, and now he has working shifts at KFC whilst he's playing to, to, you know, make ends meet. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible, really. Uh, it's a fantastic story. And it's, it's so deserved. Like, if you've seen how consistent his performance has been the past couple of seasons for Adelaide, like, it, it was just bound to happen, and I'm, I'm just glad it's happened, yeah. Can we talk about um, Adam O'Neill's debut? Because, obviously, you know, you're in Victoria, and, and he's, he's obviously, um, you know, a regular fixture for Melbourne City, and he's been fantastic there. Um, he... When I was watching his performance, I mean, it was it was superb. He was actually unbelievable in that game. I thought, for as a number six, he really didn't do much wrong at all. Uh, I can't really remember. There was maybe one occasion I can remember him giving the ball away, but you know, as a number six, it's so important to be to really just set the tempo and to and to not give the ball away in that area. And he was he was superb. He's faultless against a really like we mentioned a really physical, intense Ecuador team as well. But you, you feel like he's just kind of been progressing along under the radar, and now. I mean, he had he had the stint at Burnley. He's had the experience in England, but now you feel like at his age, at twenty four as well. Just as a quick kind of side tangent, he could really go back to Europe as well and get those minutes. Oh, for sure. It's uh, he's probably one of my favorite players. I've just noticed progress. I think it started at Central Coast and then Brisbane. I think he played more of the sort of number like number ten slash number eight role there. Box. Yeah, more of a number eight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, um, yeah, we've noticed under City, uh, yeah, playing in the double pivot there, he's developed so much because I think he's just such a complete player because he used to be a number eight. He's so good on the ball, so composed, and his mobility especially, I think that's his most underrated like mm. uh, attribute for me. He's so quick. He's probably one of the quickest players in the league, in my opinion. When I watch him play, he catches anyone. So it just makes him, yeah, so difficult to come up against in the defensive mid role. So honestly, the sky's the limit for him. Like, he, you know, if, if he gets a good move, like, I think he could really push, you know, for a spot in the Asian Cup squad at this point. Like, he wasn't even in the squad and he's already been, you know, like, he could, you know, push, for example, an Irvine, even a Moya. I don't know. Like, he's fantastic. Like, I love him. I love him. I'm pushing a bit of propaganda here. I absolutely love Aino O'Neill, but We'll see what happens, but yeah, he was he was fantastic. He's not, he's not come on, he's not pu- pushing out the Aussie <laughs> Iniesta. He's not pushing <laughs> out the Aussie Iniesta. Come on, yeah, let's, fair, let's, fair, let's, fair. let's 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 pump the brakes there. But um <laughs> <laughs> well yeah, no, you're right. And I think O'Neill, he's he's a guy who looks like he could definitely play in a one six system by himself very comfortably. Like that that was actually what impressed me probably most about performance is that he was playing by himself, not in a pivot, uh, and he was still that good. But uh, moving on, I want to talk about um two other guys. Um, first of all, we'll finish with Alex Robson. Let's talk about uh, Garen Kowal because um, he gets the goal off the bench, his first international goal. There's all this stuff going on at heart where he's maybe not getting the game time everyone, I guess, wants him to from an Australian perspective. Uh, and there's that frustration. But then he but then he comes up with the moment and, and everyone embraces it. Everyone gets around him as you would expect. 
No, it was really, really good to see. I think it's fantastic for his confidence. You know, it's it's been a very, very tough experience for him at Hearts. You know, it's just been a lot of fan criticism and yeah, like in and out of the team, playing centre mid at times. Like, mm. you know, it's it's been a really tough experience. I think yeah, to come back to Australia, score a goal, fantastic for his confidence. Obviously, you know, maybe didn't you know have the best game. Obviously, we'll talk about later in Victoria, but I think it was really, really good for him. So hopefully, can you know push that back into Hearts and then yeah, going to Robertson. Like, honestly, the 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 the, the fight alone was enough to, to win me over. But even then, his performance itself, like I think the creation for the third goal of Beige, yep. fantastic there. Should have won a penalty. I don't know what the hell the referee's doing. We'll, we'll just forget about that. I, I think but, we might get the referees a little bit more in the, uh, in the Melbourne discussion. <laughs> <laughs> um, but with um, with Robertson, yeah, I did a tweet when um, when that happened with the scuffle and just, just kind of said, you know, there's nothing that Aussie football fans love more than, um, than, <laughs> than a scuffle between a Socceroo and a South American player because of we got to consider all the history that the Socceroos have had with South American teams over the years as well. And, um, and, uh, yeah, everyone kind of got around that. So yeah, Alex Robson kind of showed that he definitely, uh, he definitely fits the colors, um, from the off, which was fantastic. It's also just back on the Kowal thing. It's weird. I, I think the Kowal lack of game time and the Hearts fan criticism is, is actually one of the originating factors that's fueling the, uh, soccer Twitter versus Scottish football fans, um, war that's going on. I guess on uh, on Twitter at the moment, which I'm not involved in, and I don't really want to be involved in um, at all. So everyone, you know, <laughs> do what you want, um, really. But um, yeah, no, uh, superb for Graham's confidence. Uh, everyone loves a kid. Everyone loves a kid. It's it's similar, and we'll get to. I think we might talk about Nestor a bit more in a second. But it's similar to that kind of vibe where everyone just wants him to succeed. Everyone knows the story, where he comes from, um, and it's it's just it's just the type of player which Australians are really going to get around all all the time. And with Robertson. Uh, you know, as was pointed out with the goal, uh, which was the Kowal goal as well, which he played a big part in with that ball in behind and that kind of set everything in motion as well. And I think people are making a good point. And I, and I mentioned this when we were talking about the games, with, when I was talking about the games with Matt last week, going into it and talking about how Robinson's been training under Pep Guardiola. I mean, you know, he, he's going to know a thing or two about where he needs to be and, and spatial awareness, right? So, and I, and I think you saw that with the performance. Yeah, no, he was, he was fantastic. I think, yeah, just show. Class. Like I think as a 19-year-old to come in your debut and do that, like you know, it's very very exciting with him. So happy we've been able to pick him up and yeah, I th- I'm, you know, you know, I'm I'm, ju- I'm just buzzing. I'm buzzing. There's a, there's a lot of optimism around the team moment. Yeah, and um, Robertson as well. Uh, of course, he's still and I think some people need some clarification over this, but he he's still not actually locked in with the Socceroos because uh, he's only been he's only played a friendly. So um, hopefully, when those Asian Cup you know uh, comes around and stuff like that, he'll be in those squads. Obviously, development pending and, and this, that, and the other. But um, yeah, and and he can really lock himself in from that. But we want to talk about the Melbourne game as well um, because I guess less less kind of fanfare and less um, you know um, kind of praise around that uh, from a Socceroos perspective. Um, I think probably the good uh, phrase I guess to describe this, and I think I saw Joey Lynch actually use this in his in his match report of the game, was that Socceroos kind of got punched in the mouth. Um, by by the Ecuadorians um, on on Tuesday night, and and you kind of felt that, particularly in the second half. Maybe they got punched a little bit by the referee, um, but in the second half in particular, the Ecuadorians were kind of like, okay, listen, we're not we're not losing two games in a row, do you guys? All right, you know, we're we're going to take a game at least off of you, and and they kind of brought a level of intensity in the second half, and the Socceroos couldn't respond. Yeah, the, I think that's yeah something I was saying throughout the game. Like mm. this is a friendly, right? Like it did not feel <laughs> yeah. like. In the slightest, like Ecuador, I, I think I've been hearing you know, the their media was going after them after the first game, so yeah, they had yeah. a lot to prove. So, mate, you really, think you think our you think our media can be reactionary? <laughs> South America's next level. 
Yeah, no, copying three goals to some kangaroos, they were not happy. So fair play to them. You know, they played their hearts out. They played well. Like I think they're pressing, obviously, like you're saying, with a new coach, takes them a little bit of time to get you know, so get it in, structured, and their pressing looked much better. I think, you know, Kai Shado, you know, I personally, you know, was very you know, angry at him at points because he was very, very physical. Yeah, can we do like a quick little thing on Kaiseido? Because so I'm, <laughs> as, as people might know from, uh, you can even have a look on my Twitter uh, profile pic. I am a Chelsea fan, and we were heavily interested in him um, in January. And kind of seeing him over these two games was kind of like, ah, you know, kind of happy with Enzo Fernandez, um, to be honest, at the moment because um, I don't know, he just he just didn't really stand out. He wasn't great. Look, it's friendlies. Maybe he just didn't kind of he maybe just didn't care as much. That there's also there's also that, but. Um, yeah, it was weird. He just kind of didn't really take the games kind of by the scruff of the neck as as, as I was expecting. Um, but I guess part of it was O'Neill playing really well in the Socceroos midfield as a whole, playing really well in the first game. And then definitely for 20 minutes in that game on Tuesday, in that first 20 minutes, Socceroos kind of looked like, okay, they're going to beat him again. Um, they're just they're just going to kind of pick up where they left off. But but you're right, there was a sense of pride, I think, around, around the Ecuadorians. Yeah, um, and I think as well... Uh... You know, we, we did rotate the team a bit as well, which did yeah. make it harder. And I think um, in the first game, the defense looked good, but I think we really noticed the difference in the second game when we had, you know, Ryder and Deng, I think really, really struggled. Uh, Kevin Rodriguez, if I'm pronouncing that correct, he killed Deng. I absolutely killed him. He's a very we, 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 Yeah, we were discussing this during the game, right, Rodriguez? He, uh, yeah, he was arguably Ecuador's best player of, uh, of both games, definitely in that second game. I, I definitely like look at him. And you're right, Tommy, Tommy Deng, and he copped a little bit of criticism. He didn't have the best game for sure. Bailey Wright's kind of, if we want to talk about him, he's kind of one of those options where he's just he's just there as a backup option. Solid. And he's going to be solid and he'll kind of, he'll give you that, you know, when you're one nil up and you need to protect the lead, he'll come on and he'll be that solid kind of presence. So, yeah, he's, he's kind of nothing more than that. If, if I could just say one thing, I think Dejanek at right back was probably something that got a little bit exposed from a, from a possession standpoint in this game. Yeah. So I think for sure you want to see um, you know, Karacic hopefully maybe come back into the fold. But more to the point, I think I think that was I would have liked to see Ryan Strain. If I had one kind of thing out of this year, out of this two games, I think it was to see Ryan Strain in that second game, uh, which we didn't, which is a little bit frustrating. Um one guy we did see though, uh, who also is from Adelaide is Joe Gauchi. Um what did you what did you make of Joe Gauchi's debut? Very, very, very assured. Like I I think we've been seeing in the A League recently he's mm. you know Forms has been a little bit, you know, dipping sometimes, you know, a bit more consistent. But I think today came in fantastic. Probably, probably less assured, less assured of late. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, he obviously conceded too, but none of his fault. And the saves he made were fantastic. He was very, very good. Just, yeah, really solid. And I think he's really going to be you know, pushing Matty Ryan over these next couple of years for that number one spot. I think there's been a bit of lack of competition recently with Matty Ryan, you know, with Vukovic and Redman. Yeah. But I think Gouch can really push him there. Well, I think I think what they've probably got in mind is look, Matty Ryan's still got the number one spot, and he's still hands down number one. I think look, I do think I know what you're saying, but I think Gauchi's got to get that European move. He's got to get that, you know, there's still phases for him that he needs to or checkpoints that he needs to surpass before he can, I think, take the number one shot on a regular basis. But more to the point, what's probably evident now is that Andrew Redmayne is probably going to be there as kind of like a vibes guy in the goalkeeper side of things uh, from for, for now, um, and. Yeah, I think he's just going to be there to kind of guide maybe the younger keeper, whoever that is, whether it's Gauchi, whether it's Tom Glover, whoever it's going to be uh, moving forward. I think, look, I think we're all pretty positive it's going to be Gauchi. Um, and he's going to guide that that kind of next keeper coming through to, to eventually overtake Matt Ryan. So um, that's going to be that's going to be interesting. I'm, I'm interested in how that kind of setup goes. Um, also, just one thing on Andrew Redman, he's not going to be able to do the uh, the grey wiggle uh, walking on the uh, walking oh, on the line anymore. 
yeah, uh, pretty tragic, pretty tragic news that keepers can't um, keepers can't do that anymore on the on the line because that basically got us uh, to where we are right now. Um, so <laughs> yeah, it is, it is ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. So um, yeah, let's let's do about three minutes or so on Nesta um, because he didn't play in the two games. Now there was kind of like this. I think there was always an element of he wasn't going to play. I think a lot of people wanted to kind of build up the narrative like, oh, yeah, Nesta, Nesta, you know, Nesta will come off the bench. Look, I, I never really saw it. I think if if this is a guy who hasn't started yet in the A-League, I couldn't really see how he was going to get any minutes in a national team environment, particularly when you've got, you know, we already talked about Kowal, how kind of important it was for him to get those minutes and get that confidence as well. Um, and, yeah, I don't think... Obviously, you're disappointed. Like, you still wanted to maybe see him just for 10 minutes just to see what it would look like, you know, because um, you just see him coming off the bench every week in the A-League and, and, and tearing it up. I think there was almost an element of let's see how good he really is. You know, could he come on in a game against Ecuador and kind of actually, you know, put the fear of God in them? Or would he come on and he would actually struggle and you'd actually see, okay, he's not ready for this level yet. So there was probably a little bit of disappointment from that aspect. I mean, how did you see it? Did you did you want to see Nesta? Or did you understand where, where Arnie was kind of coming from with that? Obviously, I, I think everyone, you know, would be like, "Oh, it'd be great to see Nesta." But I think, yeah, if, I think if you really took the context in and saw how physical Ecuador were playing, and you know, like how like it felt like any minute someone was going to get injured, I think it was probably the right decision to, you know, maybe just ease off. As well as the fact that he was initially there just as a training player, just for experience. Obviously, it would be great for him to break the record as the youngest ever Socceroo. But I, I understand, I understand. It's it's you know, he's seventeen. You know, it's it's not the end of the world. Um, uh, it's like you know, it's yeah. He, he's got plenty of time to you know, like get you know more senior appearances under his belt, and yeah. you know, I, I think there's no need to rush that. Um, you know, he's got time, and yeah, like I, I, I think you know maybe the next you know camp if he can keep up his performances, you know, who knows? Maybe we'll see an appearance. But yeah, like the fact he's not even started an A League game yet, like like well, relax, it's okay, it's okay. Yeah, well, not even. I mean, and and uh, I mean, Garen Kowal is still is still yet to start the Socceroos as well. So I mean, you know that. And, and he's someone who's probably considered further along in that development development stage. So um, there's that as well. I think with Nesta, um, with with I guess Ben Halloran's form and stuff, you, who knows? We could we could see him start a game potentially uh, in this kind of back end. I don't know about uh, tonight's game against the Wanderers though, but in the back end he could he could start um, for sure. And then I think once he gets those A League starts on his belt, then that comes more of a question. But I think overall. You know, I think the Socceroos uh, handled that well. I think Arnie's handled that well. There seems to be a clear transparency in the way Adelaide are handling him and the way the Socceroos handled him. And clearly, I think those conversations were had between between Talviet and Arnie around, hey, look, you know, great that you want to call him up. Great that you want to get him into that environment and get him exposed to it. But, um, you know, obviously, the priority is to make sure he's not... Uh, I think he's not kind of um, shocked is probably there's there's probably an element of that like don't send him out there and, and set him up for failure is probably probably the term that we're looking for uh, looking for here as well so yeah uh, I think I think uh, no one could really argue too much about it um all right I guess in general looking at the two games um I think everyone was saying after the uh, the Melbourne game kind of agrees that yeah we won on aggregate um even Arnie was getting in on that he actually said it after the Melbourne game hey look you know we, we set out the two games we got a we got a win on aggregate and we did it it's actually quite interesting. Uh, with this with this environment now, and Arnie's been very transparent around. Look, these are the three goals um, for the soccer moving forward, um, which is uh, over this cycle, which is to win the Asian Cup, 
Um, it is to qualify, of course, for the next World Cup and then better the performance from 2022 at the next World Cup. So definitely two of them are pretty steep, you know, objectives, uh, I think, in winning the Asian Cup and, and the third one. Um, and but even in a series like this, you know, Arnie's been very transparent. We actually said before the series, we wanted to win on aggregate. Um, and it's, it's, I just, I find that interesting mentality because I think a lot of, a lot of coaches and stuff will look at it as, Hey, look, you know, I've just got these sorts of objectives for certain personnel. Uh, I want this guy to, you know, get through might be 60 minutes in a game or something. You know, let's see if this formation works. Let's see if this personnel works together, you know, and this, that and the other. But the Socceroos are very, they're very, um, I don't know how to say it. I guess kind of they've got metrics that they're always setting for themselves. And at the moment, they're, you know, they're crossing them off. And that's, that bodes well for the team chemistry and morale moving forward. Yeah, I, I think like many fans uh, pre-World Cup, I think I was had questions about Arnie, where we're headed, whatnot. Yeah. But I think he's really been proving that. Like I think, yeah, the World Cup to get us there firstly and to do what we did. And I think his performances too, like I, I really just feel like we're building somewhere. So I definitely do have a lot more faith in Arnie. Like it really does feel like we're building towards something. Oh, it's incorporating a lot of youngsters into the team as well. I like, I, you know, I, I like the progression. I like where we're going. I mean this in the nicest way possible, but I actually can't believe how much more faith I have in Arnie these days. It's it's kind of like what's what's going on? Did I wake up in like in the middle of a <laughs> the middle of a dream or something? It, it is weird. Like um, because when you I was talking about this map, when you go back to the Japan game um, and the two 0 defeat in Japan in qualifying, and you just think after that was just like get him out. Like, all the commentary was get him out. This is ridiculous. He's got no idea. Why is he calling up Fortnaroli? All this, that, and the other. And now it's kind of like, wow, look at the vibes around this team. Look at how hard they work for each other. Look at how much they enjoy being in camp together. It's just incredible, the 180 that's kind of happened. Um, if I had, and I want to pose this to you as well, one question mark to bring up. Um, and it was something which was really evident in the qualifying against those weaker Asian nations too. And it kind of showed itself a little bit in the Melbourne game when the Socceroos particularly towards the end, start to have more of the ball. And when they've got a team penned in to their own half and they don't seem to have that, I guess, that incisive mentality, that incision to break down an opponent when they sit in, and that's going to be a massive thing for me. That's going to be one of the biggest things to look at going forward, particularly with the Asian Cup, because Australia is going to have 60% of the ball in most of the games moving forward now. Um, and we're even talking about this with Matt last week around the, just the schedule for the soccer is moving forward. Apart from like those England friendlies, uh, in, in October, they've got a lot of games coming up where they can really build a momentum, they can get results on the board, but they're going to have to improve for me in possession. When they've got a team on the ropes, can they create? Can you get in behind? Can you, you know, have you got that playmaker to open things up? And I think that's a big question for this team moving forward. That, that reminds me a lot of, I think, something you said in the group chat earlier, and I really, really liked it, like how Arnie's building towards... For the, for the listeners, we've got a, we've got a group chat uh, amongst <laughs> all the contributors where we just where we just talk a bunch of shit all day. So, yeah. Well, so this one wasn't shit though. This was a great call. And I, I, <laughs> oh yeah, no, no, of course, of course, it's got the occasional good take. Yeah, yeah, occasionally, yeah. very, very rare, very, very rare. But, yeah. but you compared us to Iceland and and the the way they've built, yeah, it up, yeah, where where we really really focus on set pieces and mm. counterattacking direct football, and that works very very well against teams where like France, Argentina, mm. you know, wherever, where we're not going to have as much as the ball, you know, so we just got to you know keep them where it matters. But yeah, obviously in Asia, we are expected to you know control more games and uh, have possession, and yeah, I, I think that's. Something Arnie hasn't really shown yet. Obviously, we have mm. we did struggle a lot in Asian qualifying, so I think that's definitely a big question mark there. But yeah, I guess that's you know maybe different personnel we have to use then. For example, maybe we look for more like a calming system of a duke. You know, someone's very very good on the ball, 
or um, I don't know, like yeah, j- just just make some different personnel changes. Yeah, well, he, yeah, he's got a lot of time to to mix around with lineups, look at the flexibility, what works, you know, together, what doesn't work together. This and else, you know, looking at things like centre back partnerships, uh, midfield trios, uh, front threes, you know, what's what's kind of going to work more cohesively um, together. But yeah, the the Iceland the Iceland comparison, yeah, you're right. I um I mentioned that the other day, and it was more, it was also more like a big picture thing around. I think this is. That's maybe the style of play that we should look at moving forward. And I know people will say, and I was absolutely all for the Ange days. Like, I, I absolutely loved it, the way we played, the way we tried to play. But sometimes, and this is a fair thing to say, is that sometimes for international football, that style of football doesn't necessarily work because you only got players in for a short period of time when they come in. It's very difficult to build those patterns over time and to build that possession way of playing uh, so it's really effective and the players just can come in and know what they're doing. Sometimes they just need kind of more... I guess basic instructions, more things like, hey, you know, just let's sit in for periods of the game, let's press for moments, this, that, and the other. And it's more kind of game management like in the way that you kind of coach it. Um, and I think you're right. I think Australia, I think the pressing side is something that's really improved a lot under Arnie. You have to give him credit for that. And I, and I do think that's something that he's always actually been pretty good at when you look at those Sydney FC teams as well. Um, that they were really good at pressing, pressing hard at the pitch and winning the ball high at the pitch. Um, but, Set pieces is something that Socceroos can definitely start to use a bit more to their advantage. You know, you, obviously Harry Suter is, is an absolute weapon and we know that, but you know, there's other guys in the squad as well. Even Jackson Irvine is someone who could be like a threat from, from the occasional set piece and, and this, that, and the other as well. So, um, definitely, definitely food for thought, food for thought moving forward. Um, I guess the other thing though, that, that kind of leads me to just having a think around like what, what kind of phase would you brand this team in? Like they're not, because, I think it's good enough to win the Asian Cup, you know, when we go to the Asian Cup. But there's also all this talk around, oh, you know, we're, we're kind of transitioning into this next generation. There's all these young players coming through. So it's at this weird kind of juncture where you've got young players coming through, yet at the same time, you want to be successful when you want to win the Asian Cup. So I don't know. I think that's something that the team needs to manage kind of moving forward as well. Yeah, I, I, I would struggle to sort of, yeah. Put it under one, you know, name. Like it, it, it is a developing squad. Like we have, you know, senior players like Moy, like Irvine. You know? Like yeah. it's crazy to think these players are senior players now. Like time's flying by. But yeah, um, yeah. Like, like 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 we have these more experienced players that are you know top quality. Then yeah, we, we have a lot of you know young promising players. Like I think someone hasn't been mentioned yet that I really want to mention. Jordan Boss, what a baller. Anyways, yeah, um, uh, we, yes. we, have, we have a lot of really really young players coming in that are very talented. But yeah, we you know yeah we really do want to attack this Asian Cup. So I think yeah we're in this interesting sort of. You know, middle phase, but I, I don't necessarily mind. I think it, I think it is good to have yeah, like a you know, team that's going to win, trying to be successful, and you know, blooding these young players into that you know strong environment. So I think I, I, I think it's yeah, I wouldn't really give it development or yeah, yeah. I think what it means is come the Asian Cup, and look, this is this is talking way down the line now, but I think even now, if we want to talk about it, I think expectations still need to be tempered. Of course, they're going to go out and try and win the thing, but if it's a really good run to the final you know, something similar to the 2011 Asian Cup and, you know, young players getting opportunities and young guys really showing that they can, hand, you know, make make it in the national team and be effective. I think that's a ticking the box in itself, right? I think, big picture, this is really set up for 2026. This team could be in a really good space, right? You've got Garen Kwok. You've got Nestle Kunda, You've got Geordie Boss. Like, you, you know, you've got young guys. You've got young guys coming through. Now, it's all dependent on, how many of these guys are going to get into good environments in Europe, get regular game time, keep improving, keep progressing? And if they do, well, then, geez, I mean, you've got the makings of a team that can be really good. I mean, even even Aaron Moy, you know, 
the way he plays, he'll be fine come 2026. You know, he, he'll be a little bit older then, but I think he'll be fine, you know. Um, but even saying that, you know, in a way, maybe you actually hope, hey, Aaron Moore might not be a bad option to just have off the bench come that World Cup, right? Um, and you've got someone like maybe Aiden O'Neill ready and has taken that place. So there's so many things still to unravel itself. I think what we can both agree on, though, coming out of these two games is that a lot of people are positive about the team, for sure. Um, there are little things. And, and one thing I didn't mention as well was defensive set pieces. Actually, Australia, with, and Harry Suth has been playing the second game, which is true. But even then, the first game we actually did concede uh, from, from a cross, not a set piece. But crosses, defensive, you know, free kicks, defensive corners is an area where Australia probably need to improve as well. Um, but I think what's good is that we're not coming out of these games now thinking, oh, my God, what's wrong with our development? What's wrong with... Well, you know, we, we look like nothing. We didn't create anything, this, that, and the other. We actually came out of the games and thought, okay, look, there's, there's things we need to improve on. You know, we, you know, the young boys got a real taste of that South American kind of mentality and, and how to deal with it for next time, uh, in that second game. But most of all, it was real positive. And I think I've got a good mix going on at the moment. And I think, and I hope, I think we both hope that, that it keeps kind of going in that upward trajectory. Um, because one thing that's, that's paramount, I think, in an international environment is, is a positive environment. I think that's, that's what they've, that's what they've got at the moment. So any, any, uh, closing remarks from you, Jake? Yeah, uh, I think, yeah, I really agree with what you just said there. I, th- I think, yeah, it's like, yeah, I, I personally, for example, have some questions like, for example, right back. I don't really agree with what Arnie's in there, but it's, it's just a yeah. couple, you know, quite like small questions. Yeah, you know, yeah that's it's, right. It's, it's, it's not a big fundamental systemic, like, we need to change everything. Like, <laughs> yeah. we, we, we can see where we're building. There's optimism. We've got a relatively young team. Like it's yeah. There's a lot of optimism around the team, which is good for a change. Because yeah, it's it's you know it's, it, we had some couple of rough years, but yeah, it's really really good to sort of see what we're building. Yeah. All right, Jake. Thanks for joining me. Uh, that was a that was a good short, sharp, comprehensive review, mate. Well done. Well done. All right. So all right, we're going to take a break, and uh, when we come back, I'm going to talk a bit about uh, about some nat- national second tier stuff. Uh, with uh, with one of our other Victorian contributors, who I will introduce right after this. Okay, so I'm joined now by one of our new contributors uh, here at Front Page Football, uh, Declan Mythen. And uh, me and Declan are going to have a little bit of a chat around, around some national second-tier stuff. And in particular, on Wednesday night, there was a big game in Victoria, which Declan was at, um, where Preston Lions took on Oakley Cannons uh, in the Australia Cup preliminary rounds. Oakley won. Um, three one in the end, but the crowd was fantastic. The atmosphere, looking on, looking on the uh, Preston Lions Facebook page stream, which is where how I accessed it, um, was uh, looked looked great as well. Um, and it kind of just, yeah, it just kind of raised some points around, you know, is this what the atmospheres could look like when the national second division, or if you know, however you want to kind of look at it, um, comes in and comes into fruition, um, you know, and obviously the smaller stadium aspect and how that kind of played into the better atmosphere as well. Um, now Declan corrected me uh, on uh, on our group chat, which I mentioned in the early part of the pod, um, where where I mentioned that there were Oakley fans behind the goal. Now you you reckon it was kind of a split? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So just to well, first of all, thanks for having me on. Yeah. Um, and second of all, just to back up my comments there, it's kind of difficult to comment on because when people show up to a game and they're dressed all in black and they're covering their faces, it you can't really say for certain who they are yeah, yeah. and who they're supporting. But just for the fact that the game was segregated, they, we had crowd segregation and they were in the part that was dedicated for Oakley Cannons. But to speak on noticing the division, there was a bit, like you could see it down the middle a bit. There was the, those dressed in black on one side 
And the other side were like the kind of usual people you probably see at Oakley Cannon. Some of them were wearing club merchandise. It was a bit more like family mix, yeah. you know, young people, old people, uh, men and women. Whereas on this other side that I was referring to in the group chat, it was just uh, mostly a bunch of young men all dressed in black. Some of them were covering their faces. And yeah, we just, it was very apparent to those around the ground that some were there specifically for Oakley, some were there for something else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think everyone knows, well, most people in Oz football circles now should know about that Preston Lions kind of home atmosphere and how it's, you know, always raucous there and, and their, their crowds for a, for a, you know, an NPL2 uh, club is, is quite incredible, right? I mean, talk to us a little bit about what it's like to actually kind of be there, be, you know, amongst that and how it was on Wednesday as well. I think in general, I would just describe it as pretty electric. Um, it just sometimes I just find myself pinching myself because uh, I I used to go to games quite a few years ago, uh, back in the state leagues, and things were just different. I think mm. Victorian football in general was was just different back then. So to see where it's at now and where Victorian football is at now, because it's not just Preston. Um, very good case example, but in there's noticeable cases at other clubs as well where the atmosphere is just very different these days. It feels like there's something happening, something building towards. Mm-hmm. In terms of Wednesday, to you know, just to drive there and as soon as I turn the corner, the car park's full. Like, all right, go to the next block, full. Go to the next block, full. Like, okay, all right. It's like any other day then. Yeah, yeah. What's I guess what's the vibe around? Because obviously we know Preston have submitted an expression of interest um, for for the for the NST. What's what's the vibe? kind of there well on, on Wednesday were people kind of talking about it like during you know did you when you're walking around were anyone talking about it or was it just kind of like focusing on the game I'm just kind of I guess I guess a lot of listeners are probably interested in kind of what's what's like the atmosphere around some of these clubs with this kind of looming uh in, in you know next year potentially I think with Preston it's not it's not something that we're talking about all the time because um the AFC was formed Sorry, the Association of Australian Football Clubs, AAFC, was formed yeah. in 2017 with the goal of the NST. Uh, Preston has been involved since very early on. So we've kind of had that origin, that initial conversation about it years ago. So now it's it's sort of just more of an expectation. Like there's been a natural progression in the last probably four mm. to five years moving towards this. Even before Football Australia confirmed that, hey, we want to do this, the club had already assumed that it was going to happen. So it's already been building towards that. In regards to Wednesday, I think the only difference in how it was being discussed was in terms of the support. And that sort of just juxtaposition between how Preston fans should be behaving in comparison to how this particular section of people that were there for Oakley, not all Oakley, just that particular section I mentioned before were behaving. So there was a lot of discussion about the expectations of what fan behavior should be in the national mm-hmm. second tier yeah. and what is considered appropriate and professional. Yeah, I think that's interesting because obviously, you know, we know about the all the stuff that just happened in Melbourne Victory this year in the A League, um, and and that's that's something which is probably, uh, yeah, I just wonder how Football Australia is going to approach that uh, heading into the national second tier around around um, you know regulating any fan behaviour, any fan trouble that which might kind of which might come up uh, at any at any point um, because yeah, for sure we don't want to, we don't want another situation. Uh, like that, but let's talk a bit more about the national second tier because you've kicked off a new series um, as your first kind yep. of written pieces on the on the site, uh, which we've called which we've called the NST round of thirty two, which I really like because there's thirty two teams which have expressed interest, so it's kind of like the last thirty two. Um, so 
yeah, we, we, we started with the with the New South Wales one um, on on Wednesday. Now, uh, talk to us a little bit about, um, I guess, just the series in general, but also like the New South Wales aspect of it as well, because that was your first piece. Yeah, so I originally wrote it all as one article. This is obviously before I joined uh, Front Page Football. So yeah. it's all, all one article that I kind of just smashed out in about a week and a half. And it was meant to be an article. And it just kept growing and growing and growing. And before I realized it, um, my girlfriend looks over my shoulder and she says, you've written seven and a half thousand words. Like, this is an essay. <laughs> it's like, this is more than what you've written for university. I was like, oh, yeah, well, I guess I can't really just publish this as it is. So that's when I started dropping feelers. And now through speaking with you, you had the idea to just break it up state yeah, by state, yeah. which I agree wholeheartedly. Great idea. Makes it so much better. So, yeah, we went through that process. We changed a few things. So it's nice to know I'm doing my job right. That's good. Yeah, no, I think the first one's come out pr- pretty well. Like, I'm I'm happy with the structure in New South Wales. And that means also the Victorian one is flowing a lot smoother for me right now because I know what I'm doing. Yeah. And, yeah, just in regard to the New South Wales one, I'm not really sure what to say. There were there were a couple of, like, last-minute entries there that, are, that really mm. took me um, a bit on the left field. Fraser Park? Uh, Fraser Park was probably the most. Uh, I, I just like the day it happened, the, the deadline day. I'd already written. I thought everything I had to for New South Wales. I'm like I'm done. And then Football Australia post um, their report or whatever on it, and they mentioned Fraser Park, and I'm like, what? Now I have to go and write about Fraser Park. And I wrote about Fraser Park, and the more I read into them, the more I just thought. What are you doing here, guys? I'll tell you what was more surprising about the Fraser Park thing is when I went um, to check your article out and then I saw <laughs> then I saw Anthony Albanese in there uh, with a with a Fraser Park top on. I'm like, hang on, when was this? <laughs> when when was Anthony Albanese down at Fraser Park? <laughs> Apparently recently, and it wasn't his first time. He was there like 10 years ago as well. Yeah, well, there you go. There you go. So I don't um, know what the connection is. Yeah, and I wonder if they're going to try and use it uh, <laughs> moving forward. I, I, I don't know um, to, to kind of get their get their name out there a bit more. But in terms of New South Wales, uh, I mean, you've mentioned Arpia in the article. You mentioned Arpia, Marconi. I mean, these are kind of your big historical clubs as kind of like the must-haves for the for the NST. So, I mean, talk a little bit about that, and I guess anyone else from a New South Wales perspective, we should be keep an eye on uh, as for them being a really good option for the second for the second tier yeah just um like in my personal opinion and that's obviously that's based on just my own personal biases and as well as looking into the history and a little bit does come from the handful of knowledge i have been privy to about discussions within the aafc point towards a handful of clubs that are really going to dominate um the new south wales leg of this so they're the clubs that are probably most likely to actually get in and those are yeah arpias marconi uh, Sydney Olympic, like yeah. those three in particular, uh, Wollongong Wolves, uh, just out of Sydney. So those four off the top of my head are probably are looking quite strong and they all have their own sort of pros and cons in regard to it. And then there was a few others that um, were looking, like I don't want to say looking less likely because we don't know the criteria and we also don't all know what these clubs have to offer. Just the clubs that probably most people would think are less likely. And that was like uh, Rockdale Linden or... Yeah maybe Blacktown City. Sydney United are kind of in a weird space at the moment where they could go either way. And then there was just, just like completely random ones that caught us off, like Fraser Park, but also Sutherland Sharks teaming up with uh, <laughs> Cronulla in the NRL. That was another I wasn't, left field. Yeah. I wasn't expecting it. Yeah. Uh, apparently James Johnson wasn't expecting it because he even said that just slapped me in the face. Yeah. <laughs> 
yeah, yeah. Um, that's yeah, that was one which kind of like, wow, okay. Um, that's yeah, and and you mentioned the and you mentioned the article, and I agree where there could be, you know, and, and we've we've structured, of course, there, so you can kind of go through each team and have a look at you know Dylan uh, Declan's thoughts. Um, we've got a we've got a Dylan now. We've got a Dylan and a Declan. So yeah. now every time I, I go see, De- yeah, yeah, it, you know, uh, it's one of those kind of situations. But Declan in the piece, you've kind of gone through and given your thoughts. You know what they could offer. You know what what this could kind of look like if they're in the second tier. And with Sutherland, it was interesting how you mentioned. I mean, if the rug if the rugby kind of aspect of it is really going to help them in terms of the stadium, kind of this sort of thing, and potentially funding and money and this sort of aspect of it, well, then yeah, it should it could be good, uh, and they could offer something. If not, and as we've seen, and you you actually mentioned a historic one, which I thought was really good with Paramount of Power um, and, and and Penrith, um, and yeah, that was that was kind of a really good example to bring out historically. I don't have much knowledge of it, but but you've got kind of the historical side um, as as an example of that kind of not working. So um, yeah, that's an interesting one to watch. But if we we just go back to to the game on Wednesday and kind of just just the way it kind of looked and the setup and this sort of thing. Is that what I just want to kind of give people some context over what kind of the second tier could look like? Because I think a lot of people might think, I don't know if a lot of people, but if there's any people out there maybe who think that there's going to be like 15,000 seed in stadiums that are going to kind of rake in 10,000 people, I think that's kind of like far-fetched, right? You know, it's going to be something that's going to be a little bit more kind of toned down, but is actually going to have that, kind of NPL atmosphere on a much heightened level. Yeah, I'd be shocked if anyone actually thought yeah. any club was going to play at that level, except maybe Wollongong, if they do really, really well. Yeah. That's the only one I could see doing it. Otherwise, yeah, most clubs are going to be playing um, at their local suburban grounds. They're either probably going to own the, the stadium outright, mm. or they're going to have some kind of exclusive lease from the local council. That's usually how most of them operate. Uh, the majority, I think, would be the sole operators there. They wouldn't share them with any other club. Um, and yeah, that, that's, that's important. Be... That's important, though, isn't it? Like that. That's that is one of the paramount things. If you're gonna, if if a club is gonna offer something for the second tier, I think is that if they can own that stadium outright, have full control of what they're doing there, that's that sets you up, right? Yeah, and that's what I mentioned. New South Wales article. I, yeah. I did highlight the teams that did own their own stadiums. I didn't delve into it. I just mentioned this club owns their own stadium. Yeah. And it's interesting when writing um, the Victorian piece, which I'm on at the moment. Uh, that difference because a lot of New South Wales clubs own their stadiums, whereas very few Victorian clubs do. Yeah, that that is interesting. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, um, because yeah, I just think you know if you've it's it's your base, right? It's your base. So if if you've got it and you've got it there and you can regulate what you want to do there, you know whether it's the fan experience on game day, whether it's you know how how you want to plan out how the first team goes about their training sessions and and prepare some match days. I mean, you've got so much flexibility once you've got your stadium. Um, and, and it kind of just sets everything up. And more to the point, I think this is now, now Dylan, and this is right, Dylan, this time, um, did an article on the site earlier this year where he actually talked about kind of the smaller stadiums argument in the A-League. And, and we've seen it with, with Perth and Masso Park, and now they're at HBF, um, and how, you know, that could benefit the A-League. I think for the NST, they've, they've got to learn something from that where keep them at the, you know, keep them at those local smaller grounds because, you know, imagine, I'm just thinking out loud here, but imagine like those, if you get a Friday night game between two Victorian clubs and the NST, they're not too far away from each other. You could pack out like a 5,000 seat stadium. I mean, that would be fantastic, right? Yeah, easily. I actually read that article today as well, the one to the road. Yeah, there you go. And yeah, I do agree with him. And I don't think any club going for the NST would have any illusions about moving 
up from where they are. I don't think it would make much sense, you know, stick to what you know. It's it's going to be one of the competition's biggest strengths is that the clubs have their own bases, their own, um, you know, home grounds that they can play at to their own advantage. And, you know, a big crowd might only be 3,000 people for some club, but 3,000 people at a facility that might only hold four or five is going to be an unreal experience compared to, let's say, uh, seven or 8,000 people at Amy Park in Melbourne because that's a 30,000-seater stadium. It's a, just a huge difference. And I think people will prefer that because one of the reasons the A-League really took off um, in, the, in the very beginning and even like 10 years ago was because of that atmosphere. That's what got people coming back. And when the atmosphere kind of died off, I feel a lot of those people sort of just backed away. So what the NST could possibly do here right now is, yeah, we only have two, 3,000 like loyal fans, but when people come, they get that match day experience, like it's packed out. Is it, you know, and the other thing which I think that the NST could have, which the A-League doesn't, is it's also like the cultural match day experience of when you go to Preston and you eat the Preston food, like, you know, you're entering like a different world, right? You know, it's like you're really getting into the the Macedonian roots of the club. Uh, and look, that's a whole other thing around, you know, how the A-League maybe doesn't have that. You know, I'm not going to start that. But, um, you know, that that's that's kind of interesting in itself, right? Is that you can kind of maybe go to these games and, I mean, even here in SA as well, you go to these games, um, you know, uh, people saw a people saw a tweet I did a, couple, a few weeks ago when we were, uh, me and Antonis were at a Playford game. Um, and, uh, and uh, yeah, I got to... Uh, that was that was my meal that got uh, that got shared by Footy Scram. Um, but it was just interesting in that environment, and you've seen the local volunteers, you know, pet the food, and it's kind of like everyone's there in a midweek game, and it just you feel that kind of community vibe. So I think that's one thing that the NST is going to have. Um, you know, it should it be successful um, that that the A League won't. Um, but you know, it's not a comparison. Uh, one thing I want to finish off with, since I didn't expect you to be wearing Socceroos gear, but now that you are, <laughs> and um, I was just reviewing the games with Jake uh, just then. So give us give us like a two-minute kind of spiel. What do you think of the two games against Ecuador? What are you thinking about team at the moment? Uh, yeah, to be blatantly honest, I didn't watch the game against Sydney. Uh, in Sydney, sorry, not against Sydney. I didn't watch the game against Ecuador in Sydney. Uh, but I was at the game against Ecuador on, um, when was it, Tuesday here in Melbourne. Yeah. Um, I don't, yeah. Look, there's not too much to say. It, it wasn't our full yeah. strength spot. It was simple as that. We're rotating. We're giving different people a chance. Uh, the goalkeeper now, his name I, I've forgotten. Uh, I think he plays Adelaide. Joe Gauchi. Yeah, yeah. So Gauchi actually impressed me. I thought he did quite well. In all yeah, Jay, yeah, we're saying the same stuff. Yep. I thought he was really good. He was probably one of the better ones I saw come on. Um, and I don't think we really played bad at all. I think the first half we were all over him. Just in the second half, Ecuador quite honestly just wanted it more. Yeah, no. Really and simple. that's... That's spot on. I was just saying that. I was just saying that for sure. Um, I think I think they kind of after the Sydney game they were kind of like, you know, we have to get one. Yeah, we're, we're not, we're not, you know, we're not coming out of this empty-handed. Um, uh, you know, with all due respect to you guys, so that's how that was kind of the vibe that I got. Um, but just in general, because we've we've been talking about this a bit, and I was talking about this with Matt last week when we previewed the two games as well. What like are you kind of buying into like this really good vibe around the team at the moment? Like, do you really like feel the excitement and stuff like that, or are you kind of a bit more? You know, let's pump the brakes. Let's wait until like the 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 important the you know the Asian Cup comes around and and the results start to really matter again. Yeah, that's a very good question. I'm not sure I'm either. I might be a little bit more in the middle, but probably leaning a bit towards excitement. I guess we had it. We just had a really good run. I feel like there's there's some really good talent coming through right now. I feel like Australian football has a bit has a bit more of a clear idea about itself and its identity at the moment and where we're going. And I think that's putting a bit of wind in the back 
So I'm I'm feeling quite confident for the future of uh, the Socceroos. Again, I think the Asia Cup will be a really big test, though, to mm. see how, if we can back it up, um, that would be very interesting. But I feel like um, some of the Socceroos are playing really well at, in their domestic club leagues at the moment. And it's just really good to see. I think we're in a better position now than we were after the previous World Cup, 100%. Like, just no no comparison. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and we're, yeah, we're even just talking about, like, before, you know, before the World Cup and, and even just going back to the qualifying campaign and, and just the difference is, is kind of kind of surreal when you really when you really think about it. Um, all right, Declan, awesome stuff, mate. Um, really, really good to get, to get that insight. Um, yeah. If if you missed it, you know, um, yeah, you know, I don't want to say what are you doing, but seriously, it was great. It was great to watch um, on on Wednesday there uh, to to check out the game, to see the atmosphere from afar. Um, particularly if you're not in Victoria and you're not as familiar with what's going on, uh, particularly with with Preston there and, and and the crowds are getting in. It's, it's fantastic. Uh, it's fantastic to see. Um, but yeah, make sure you check us out um, on on Twitter and Instagram at Front PG Football, Facebook Front Page Football, LinkedIn as well. We're on there. TikTok, we're also on there too. And the website, check out Dylan's article. Uh, okay, so yeah, it's uh, the NST round of 32 and uh, New South Wales is where we're starting. Victoria's Declan. coming up. Declan, Declan. Um, <laughs> check out um, Dylan's article too. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay, Declan, I've literally just done it again. Um, but yeah, Probably. check out the article. We've got Victoria coming out soon. I think we're going to have Queensland as well. We're going to have SA. And then I think we're going to have basically a miscellaneous one with the rest. So yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's a what, five part series that we're, that we're looking yeah. at? Yeah. yeah, I'm looking at five parts. Looking at five parts. So yeah, make sure you tune into everyone because it's really informative. You know, you've done some fantastic research there, Declan. Excellent, excellent stuff. All right. Um, before I forget, yeah, obviously go check out the website in general as well. Uh, that's at frontpagefootball.net too. All right, that will do uh, for this episode of the pod. Uh, thanks to Jake from earlier uh, as well. Thanks to you as well, Declan. And uh, yeah, we'll be back on this feed uh, on Monday. All right, bye for now.